0: Hello everyone, it's Brit, the petite polymath. It's been a little bit, but I have an awesome book that I read and something that has made me very happy, which then meant that I had to record an episode today. So, the book is The Afflictions by Vikram Paralkar, uh, and I'll get a break in and then we'll start in a gif. Okay, so, The Afflictions. I think maybe about a month ago i was looking for the next book that i wanted to talk about and i don't actually remember how i happened upon this author it actually should be dr Powell carr um, he's a hematologist at uh, the university of pennsylvania in philadelphia which is where i did my residency so i was like oh this is cool i should check this guy out so it's a pretty short book i think it's under 200 pages uh, and its premise is the following. Um, there is someone, we don't know who this person is, uh, Maximo, actually, uh, we don't know much about him, who um, is getting a tour by an elderly librarian through something called the Central Library, which um, you quickly find out is not a typical library. It is instead a place where there are books or encyclopedias, with multiple um, illnesses that do not exist in the natural world, or at least they are illnesses of the psyche or the mind um, that we know about, but that manifest in physical ways um, in this world, okay? And the way the book is written is that there are these little vignettes describing these illnesses that are written in kind of bastardized Latin, so like not actually real Latin, um, but kind of Latinized. Uh, and then when you start reading the, the descriptions, you realize quickly, oh, this is, this, is, um, this is not a physical ailment. This is an ailment of, of the mind or the spirit that then manifests in these physical ways. And this is broken up by little kind of, you know, chats that the librarian is having with Maximo. What I was a little disappointed by with the book was that I felt that it kind of went on too long with these descriptions of afflictions and didn't really give you enough of a story for Maximo and the librarian themselves. I was waiting for, you know, some sort of plot twist or plot to actually happen Instead, I just kind of felt like it was a laundry list of illnesses. However, there were some really, really cool ones that kind of struck me. And I'm going to see if I can, you know, I should be more organized. And maybe actually, I don't know, you know, mark these things before I decide to record so that I can read them to you. They're written so poetically that I was kind of struck by how beautiful the language is. Um, so yeah, so let's see if I can. Ah, yes, here's a good one. Volnus Morale. The wound of Volnus Morale, or the moral wound, begins in adolescence as a round ulceration on the small of the back. At first, there is little to distinguish it from the most harmless of ulcers, and village healers may poultice it with herbs and salves for years. But sooner or later, the ulcer expands into a large, unsightly wound, and the invalid turns to a more learned healer. The diagnostic process is long and tedious and can take the most skilled physician the better part of a year. The sufferer must document the state of his conscience in a ledger. Every act of kindness or malice, every bitter word, every stolen candlestick, every coin tossed on the mat of a pauper. I just think that's just very beautifully written. Um, To skip ahead, the invalid with vulnus morale. "...bears on his back a permanent compass of his moral state. Men who spend lives of great evil are converted into horrific, horrific tapestries of sloth and gangrene that narrate their terrible deeds. The priest who arrives at the hour of death to commend such a man's soul to the mercy of God finds his voice ringing false." But there are others who, after long years of debauchery, return in the twilight of their lives to the practice of humility and virtue. By the time they depart this mortal world, their rapidly cooling skins are as smooth and immaculate as on the day of their birth. So that's just one example, and then there are things like, um, you know, like the this this deep ache for a place that you've never been, and. People, it's like an extreme version of *Wonderlust*, where people are never at home and they always have to go from place to place. Um, or people who the minute that they say something, they forget what it was they said before so that they can never actually have a history. It's very, very fascinating. Um, what's the word? Conditions. That I think we've all kind of had in fleeting, you know, episodes where we've wondered, ah, could this actually manifest in a physical way? Um, and could it is the question. I think that uh, this would have been really cool if he had had more plot between these Encyclopedia entries, and then actually, maybe even introduced us to people who had these conditions and how they interacted with the librarians. I think that would have been a very neat, um, a neat way to frame it, as opposed to the way that it is. Just because I feel like at some point you just kind of want to give up because you don't really know where you're going with the book. So this might be the first time I've written, I've read something, and talked about it on here. And it wasn't giving you a glowing, you know, please go read this book recommendation. Usually because if I start reading something halfway through and I'm like, nope, this isn't going to work or I get bored, I just abandon ship and I don't bother telling you because it just, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer. I don't know. I figure you don't know what I was reading anyway. So it's like, you know, a win-win. I'm going to take a break because then I want to tell you about what I'm super excited about. Um and what I want to recommend to you in a gif. Okay, so I might have spent five hours on my couch last night watching High Fidelity on Hulu. Um, So for those who who don't know the book, Nick Hornby, British author, wrote High Fidelity novel. It then was turned into a movie in the year 2000 with John Cusack um, and a host of other characters, also including Jack Black and Lisa Bonet, um and Joan Cusack his sister. A great film. Uh I own it on DVD and have watched it multiple times. It's very quotable. And as a lover of music, um and probably a self, you know, proclaimed music snob of sorts, or, you know, as the tagline for the show says, we're not music snobs, we just have good taste. Um, I really, really love the film and the book. So I was a little hesitant about the remake. However, um, it has been remade uh, into a series as opposed to a film, and they have done a little gender flip. So instead of Rob, John Cusack, um, as the main character being a man, it is instead Zoe Kravitz playing Rob, or Robin, uh, and instead of it being set in Chicago um, in the 1990s, very early 2000s, it is set in the current time with all of our smartphones and Spotify and you know music sharing playlist etc. Um, in Crown Heights, Brooklyn, and it's really it's really enjoyable. It's actually so different from the movie that I think that works out really well. They do you know directly lift some language from from both the film and the book, which is fine, um, but it doesn't come off as I don't know, like trying too hard to me. I actually thought it was just really enjoyable. Uh, they're short episodes. So they're about 25 to max 27 or 8 minutes a piece. And you know the premise of High Fidelity. You've got Rob, who like is a disaster when it comes to love and is trying to figure out why. So he loves to make top five lists. And he talks about his top five heartbreaks. And he wants to go to each of them and find out what did he do wrong to mess everything up? Is he destined to be alone forever? So Rob, as Zoe Kravitz, does the exact same thing. Um, the difference is leave for you to see. Um, it is a, a Rob for a new time, that's for sure. Um, one thing that makes it kind of meta is Lisa Bonet is Zoe Kravitz's mother. She plays the you know, musician that jo- John Cusack's character has a fling with. Um, in the original, so it's really fun to see Zoe playing now this role reprised in the remake. Um, I What I think I loved the most was, I'm glad that they flipped it gender-wise, because really this story is, is has no gender preference to it. Um, I mean, in the book, it's very tethered to him being a man, because he's got insecurities about his sexuality, not sexuality, but sexual performance, which is something... I don't think women have these same insecurities as far as I can figure out having, you know, having girlfriends. Um, And of course, in the film, that comes up quite a bit as well. You don't see that in the new in the series. Um, But the fact that she is a black woman is unique because I feel like this space of music snob is not a place that you often see people who look like me. And I remember vividly when I started getting into, like, into music in a way that was not just um, pedestrian, but, like, you know, getting into the stacks at, you know, at the radio station in college and going to shows. um, Even before that, being, you know, in high school and going to punk rock shows, being the only black person there. um, You know, girls would go if they had a crush on one of the guys. And there were a few of us that really liked music, but it's not really a space that like girls are seen. And I say girls because I'm a woman so I can say girls. Um, and also not a place where you're actually, where your opinion is always valid or, or respected. Um, and I've come across men where I've talked about the music I like and I don't know if it's intimidating the knowledge of the music that I have. Um, I had an ex who I think was really irritated that he could never find something that I didn't know about already. I mean, that's not my fault that you lived under a rock for years before you decided to start listening to music that was good. But, you know, it is what it is. So the fact that it is a diverse character arc of of people who are music lovers, you know, the people in in the record shop that Rob owns, there's a black woman... Um, named Charisse and I love that she's there and I love her music taste because if you saw her you wouldn't imagine that that person liked that music and that's exactly the way that it ought to be. Um, I also liked how they dealt with Simon who is um, an ex and best friend of Rob uh, who ends up being gay. That's why they didn't make it and it's actually very it's a very neat way of handling it. I was watching an interview with the actor who plays him and he was, he was saying that he enjoyed throwing that trope of the gay best friend on its head where he's a guy who happens to be gay. He's not a gay guy, which means he's a man who can be all sorts of stuff. He can be a hipster and he can have a beard and have curly hair and maybe not be very stylish and be a super like cerebral music freak. And he also didn't like women. And that's not something you always see, but these people are out here and here we are. Like the, the breaking down of some of these tropes that you see um, on TV shows or, or in media. I also, um, I also just liked the, the type of music. I think that they referred to a lot of different genres, which was fun. Um, I think one criticism I had was I still thought that the show was pretty white. Like, I feel like, you know, Rob's character's biracial, clearly. You see her brother, who is also biracial. I think she's got one black dude who's a buddy who comes to the shop. And then one of her exes is black. But all her other guys are white. And there's hipster guys that are Asian and, and Hispanic. And, like, I felt like there weren't enough people... Especially in Brooklyn, like, I feel like it could have been more diverse because that would have actually been the way it would have been. Um, and I think they missed an opportunity there with her love connections to make them more diverse. I mean, you're going to throw a woman in. And let's just be honest, the girl's not, she's not a lesbian, nor is she really bisexual. Like, she, that was, like, an experimental thing. If you're going to put that in just to, like, you know, oh, we're, we're going to, like, do some gender fluidity here or queerness, like they could have actually done actual um, diligence to the character and diversified the men she was seeing. Um, I also felt like Cherise didn't have a love story and maybe we don't need it for her, but I think the sort of black woman she is, it would have been really neat if they'd done that because you don't always see those women getting that sort of space. They did a really good job of showing her vulnerability and her insecurities. She's not just the strong, sassy black woman, which I appreciated because that's a trope that's tired as all get out. But they could have given her a little. They could have given her a little, a little something. Um, I think that would have also been um, a richness to, to the, um, to the series. Uh, I thought it was great. I highly recommend it. I had a joke with a friend saying that if it was minus the sex, the smoking, um, and the sexual experimentation, that it it could have been some of my love life, uh, particularly just making playlists and waxing melancholy, uh, with albums playing and, I mean, I'm also not as much of a jerk as Rob. I'm not really a jerk at all. So maybe that doesn't really match. But it's someone that I enjoy. And I thought that Zoe Kravitz did an excellent job playing the character. So if you have Hulu, you should check it out. Okie doke. So that's about all I have for y'all today. I hope that you have a great week. And I'm moving, which means that I probably won't be back for a little bit. Because let's just be honest, I probably won't be reading in the evenings. I'll be packing. Um, But, you know, I'll be back. T Polymath is a podcast by Brit Stone. Y'all have a great week.